Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Fuel Better podcast. This is season three I suppose and this has been I guess on the back burner for quite a while for a couple of reasons which I'll get into during this podcast. This episode is not going to be so much about nutrition education, it's not going to be a niche sports science episode. I'm going to um, open up a little bit and give you an insight into to my life and what's going on with myself and then I'm going to dive into how that has influenced the way in which I give advice then the way in which I view nutritional interventions and help people so it's going to be a little bit of a different podcast I do hope you find it interesting a couple of announcements I'm going to make in the coming minutes some things that I want to share with you all in all it's actually been a very exciting time so I'm just excited to be back again recording episodes of the Fuel a Better podcast so let's get into it. So look, 2023 has been a very, very big year. And I know it's probably been four or five months since I released my last podcast. And if any of you follow me on social media, you will absolutely have noticed that I've been much quieter on the social media, not making so many posts. I really took a big step back from that for personal reasons to do with my mental health, which I'll come back to in due course. But behind behind closed doors and really all throughout this year, just the level of growth has been absolutely massive. So just a very a very brief recap. We've expanded our team and since the last podcast episode, Dylan the, I suppose, intern from 2022 has started taking on clients and he's now working actively in that role and doing a really great job with people. We now also have a strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist and physiotherapist in-house for our patients and our clients to use. And we're rebranding really, really soon to the Southeast Nutrition Clinic, which is all very, very exciting. Some other highlights from 2023 that might have happened while I was media dark for the last few months I was the dietitian for the Dublin City Marathon, which was very interesting, very cool opportunity to get. There's been a couple of corporate workshops and I've taken on some inter-county teams. There's been some interesting podcast and media appearances as well. Did my first live radio interview. I was on the Carl Henry podcast and did my first live podcast with Conor O'Keefe with plans to do more of that kind of thing in 2024. So it's all popping. Our client list is growing all of the time. Our waiting list for 2024, January 2024, is growing by the day. So if it's something that's in the back of your head, you know, you want to work with the team. Absolutely, we have some availability now with some of our coaches. But if it's 2024 where you're looking to make a change, please do reach out to us. We will be at capacity, I envisioned, for the first six months of the year, just with the level of interest we've been getting up to date. So that's... That's kind of all the announcements I have. Dublin Marathon is done, done and dusted. Very, very successful day out for past and present clientele. It's quiet for the, the last couple of weeks of the year, and that's that's always the case. So I'm really going to hinge the next few episodes of the podcast, not exactly on sports, but on lifestyle, on engaging with diet, on behavior change, the mental health side of things. And there's going to be some really interesting and I think exciting 
podcast guests coming up. So for all of you listeners, for all of the people who, you know, have been asking me to record more, more episodes of the podcast, thanks for sticking around. Thanks for listening. First and foremost, it means the world. It's great that people actually like listening to the podcast. That always astounds me. So it's it's always appreciated. So let's let's actually get into the podcast and I'll get you to have a peek behind the curtains. So I just double checked and the last episode of this podcast aired on the 31st of July 2023 which is approximately three months ago. At that time I was being assessed for ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So for those of you who don't know what that is, ADHD, it's, it's technically a disability whereby your, your brain chemistry wires a little bit differently, your impulses and the things that motivate you are very, very different. So the, the way I view the world and the way tasks appear to me and I suppose how I prioritize what I do and my ability to do things that others might find easy, it's very different uh, to to normal. So the the I suppose the big the big crystal clear moment for me, if I was to look back at my life, lots of things I would have found hard, brushing my teeth regularly, eating three meals a day, remembering to reply to text messages in a timely manner, paperwork, detail-orientated tasks, uh, just paying attention to things in general, relaxing, to name a few. I would have found all of those things very, very difficult. And a, and a phrase that I came across that kind of put it into perspective for me, to a degree, if you have ADHD, you're somewhat neurodivergent and it's a very neurotypical world. So that can be challenging. And the, the reason I had to take a big step back from work and from my responsibilities for a couple of weeks was um, it's a massive wallop to your identity and it puts a lot of things into perspective. The average person with ADHD receives, I think it's something like 10,000 negative comments by the time they're a teenager because of how it affects their ability to do small talk, how it affects their ability to control impulses so they might interrupt or just seeing things through, being late, cultivating friendships. It can really put a spanner in the works for all of that. And I guess for me personally, having an answer to all of the things that used to gnaw at me, it was very... Um, like much like a crystal ball moment, I suppose. And it was a little bit of a mind fuck. So I wasn't sure if I was actually going to talk about this on a podcast or not. I decided on a cup over a cup of coffee about an hour ago that I would for two simple reasons. I didn't actually know what ADHD was six months ago. I just had never, I'd heard of it. I'd never looked into it and I didn't know I had it but it's affected me massively for the 28 years that I've been on the world or in the world, I should say. And I figured that perhaps speaking about it, uh, being transparent with it and shedding some information on what it is, what it looks like, and then how I'm personally taking steps to manage it. Maybe that might help someone. Funnily enough, it, uh, it came about, my wife was doing an SNA course and one of the topics was ADHD and on a slide all of the symptoms popped up and um, basically it was like the, the talk was describing me. So I went and did a couple of predictive tests online, I passed with flying colours, then I went to see a psychiatrist. That's how you have to get diagnosed, through a psychiatrist. And um, if you're looking at doing it, if it's something you're thinking about, personally I went privately because to do it publicly, you're waiting for quite a long time. And I just needed an answer. If this was going on, I needed to know about it. So just a, I guess, a real unqualified highline summary of 
what I have come to understand as my ADHD and how it affects me. Number one, I effectively have no working memory. That, that part of my brain doesn't really work. That's very, very common with, with ADHD. Working memory is just not there. You're very distractible, or at least I'm very distractible because I am inattentive. So an easy example is uh, if I get an email and I don't reply immediately, I will forget or I'll get distracted by the rain, a noise, um, the cup of coffee in my hand, and, and I'll just simply forget. It's as simple as that. One of the tactics I've had is if I don't open an email, then I can't forget to reply to it. Then I forget to open it. And my personal email inbox has 40,000 unread emails in it, which gives some people anxiety. So that's, that's one way. Massive levels of forgetfulness. Item number two, executive dysfunction. So difficulty making decisions. That's a very, very common part of ADHD again. So for, I suppose for reference and for context here, executive dysfunction would look like someone who knows they want to eat, but they just cannot wrap their head around making dinner. Or they never remember or think to do grocery shopping or to make a list to do grocery shopping or to give themselves time to make a list and then subsequently go grocery shopping. So when it comes time for dinner, there's nothing in the shelf or the press and they just have cereal. That's one example. Another, another example would be trying to prioritize your day. So if you wake up, you don't have a schedule to follow, you know you have a couple of things to do, you don't know which one to start with, you don't know how to sequence them, you're not 100% sure which one you think is most important, and because you don't know the answer to maybe three questions already, you get overwhelmed and you do absolutely fuck all. That's another type of executive dysfunction, decision-making difficulties. So how that manifests with nutrition is trying to follow a complicated diet. Very, very hard to do. The third way that my ADHD affects me, and just from what I'm seeing and reading about with other people, the layman's description for ADHD is very, very low levels of dopamine chronically low levels of dopamine. I know that's not the case for everybody. I do know that in my case, personally, that is true. I do have very low dopamine levels. And effectively what that means, dopamine is a feel-good hormone. So effectively, if, if you have no or very low dopamine, it's very difficult to feel joy in general or to enjoy things and um, <clears throat> that one resonated with me quite a lot once once I understood that I could see I could see that in my life the flip side of that coin however is if you have low dopamine levels you seek constant stimulation because you're effectively always excruciatingly bored and that's how it manifests for me that's where the hyperactivity comes from the constant working, always fidgeting, never relaxing. I jokingly told the psychiatrist that uh, I would have found relaxing to be very stressful endeavor. Thought it was funny, but that's that's how it looks for me. And I know a lot of people who I've spoken to in the last few weeks have said similar things. Linking it back to diet, because this is the Fuel Better podcast, if you have very low dopamine levels on an ongoing basis, you're going to seek out dopamine and you're sure as shit not going to find dopamine in a bunch of carrots or in a head of broccoli. However, you will find dopamine from things like coffee. So caffeine, interestingly enough, was looked at as a potential treatment modality for ADHD. It's not a preferred way of treating it. I don't think it's actually a, a brilliant way of managing it. But caffeine really raises dopamine levels. And I can personally attest to this strange draw I have towards coffee and caffeine in general. I don't necessarily even like coffee. I just, 
needed, I guess. And um, anecdotally, you'll see people with ADHD take stimulants. That's the medical management of ADHD. It's generally stimulants. You'll drink a boatload of caffeine or possibly if you're at a festival, you'll take amphetamines and then you'll feel normal. So this is this is one way you can kind of conceptualize the gap between someone with ADHD and without. The ADHD person has to be super stimulated to just feel like a normal person does at baseline. So that's the difference. And it's very, very hard to manage that because it's not a it's not a convenient or practical option to be buzzed out of your head on caffeine all the time. But back to my point, dopamine seeking, coffee, alcohol, chocolate, junk food. Very, very logical. It's very rational. This is something I'll always explain to a client or a patient who is struggling with, you know, appetite control or they eat a lot of junk food and they feel very negative about it or they feel bad about it. God, I'm so silly. Why can't I just control my appetite? Why can't I just say no? It's an oversimplistic analysis. I'm not suggesting that everybody has ADHD either. I'm just pointing out commonalities in the struggles with weight loss. So the assumption is that all dietary behavior is driven by hunger. I don't know, I will, not that I don't think, I know that that's not at all the case. That's, that's rarely the case, to be perfectly honest with you. And with patients that I come across, it's rarely hunger. It's usually emotive, boredom, anger, sadness. Comfort eating is the uncomfortable label or the colloquial term for eating emotively. If you take someone who has an ADHD or an underlying severe lack of dopamine, they constantly feel negative. So it's, it's effectively with their society and food availability, that obesogenic environment, it's like having that morphine drip all the time when you can press the button, each little biscuit or each cup of coffee. It's like someone in a hospital just pressing the button on the morphine drip, temporary dopamine. It's very, very rational. And it's not something you can white knuckle because you can't just discipline yourself into having better brain chemistry. It just simply doesn't work like that. So to to put some, I guess, further context and nuance with this, I have read some research that if you do have ADHD, you're far more likely to struggle with obesity and being overweight because of that, because of that dopamine seeking and the fact that most of the options people pick, some people go on the substance abuse route. That's, that's common and understandable. Oftentimes people will pick what's in their immediate environment. Usually it's junk food, coffee, fizzy drinks, takeaways. Very, very tasty, but very, very effective dopamine hits. And I, I have also seen research pointing to the idea that if someone repeatedly fails to lose weight that perhaps it might be a good idea to look at them as a potential ADHD patient or case there might be something missing there so uh, because of the executive dysfunction the low dopamine levels getting bored with things easily low motivation it can be very hard to stick to something long term especially if it's difficult or challenging or you have to make the lower dopamine choices, the lower calorie options, the lower sugars, the lower fats. Someone with ADHD will struggle much more than a neurotypical person with that and is more likely to fail. And that's just the reality. So I, I, I hope so far this has been illuminating for you or at least interesting. And I hope you don't mind me um, dumping all of my personal stuff into this podcast I do think it's important because with I suppose a degree of realness here if you have an undiagnosed mental health issue or something similar to ADHD or ASD you will find life more difficult and it does make you more likely to suffer from anxiety or depression or to feel socially outcasted 
And if you're if you're listening to this and a lot of what I'm saying is resonating with you, look into it. Definitely take a look. Have a discussion with your GP. If you have health insurance, there's lots of counsellors that you can talk to to just explore the idea that there might be something going on. I'm relieved that I have something that explains all of the things I struggle with and it's actually made my life an awful lot easier being aware of that and then having a bit of a game plan to manage my limitations which are they're pretty stark so I I want to now I guess turn my attention towards how has this influenced my work as a dietitian in a positive way how has it shaped the advice I give to people because it, it really really has and I, I hope that you know if you've been struggling with weight loss behavior change etc I hope the next maybe 15-20 minutes might give you some nuggets that you take away and can apply to your own life so as I reflected on all of this over the last few weeks I began thinking about well how do I need to manage my my own lifestyle because God it needs managing and when you put together someone who might have difficulty in anything that doesn't give them loads of dopamine, someone who might have some executive dysfunction, and someone who might have miserable short-term memory, and possibly, I guess, issues with motivation, um, with, I guess, adherence, really, there's only one answer. You have to have very practical strategies. That is literally it. If if you, and you won't, but if you could canvas all of my patients, they'd tell you that the advice I give them is unbelievably simple. It's very straightforward. And uh, some of the podcasts I've done with Conor O'Keefe, you know, he actually jokes about how simple the advice given was. Unbeknownst to myself, I have been looking at the world at patients, at dietetic interventions in general, through the lens of someone who would struggle massively with behavior change, through the lens of uh, someone who is slightly neurodivergent, through the lens of someone with ADHD. And as a result, my style, my advice, the way I look at things, they're all simplified I'm very into pragmatism. I'm, I'm really all about practical strategies, making it as simple as possible, zoning in on the steps of behavior change, looking at impulse control, environmental modification, even including partners and support networks when and where possible. And that's, that's because, funnily enough, that's all of the stuff that I have to do personally to stay on top of my diet. So I'll... I'll walk you through some of the, I guess, ins and outs of behavior change, and hopefully you take something from it that you can apply to your own life. So to get into this, I'm going to drop the ADHD team for a moment and just, I suppose, go through some of the the commonalities that everyone will have when they're trying to change their behavior. We approach our day-to-day lives in autopilot as much as we can. If we didn't do that, we'd get overwhelmed by just trying to decide what we wear or what chair we sit at when we eat our breakfast. It would be totally overwhelming. So a lot of things go on autopilot and we just do what we do, I suppose. When we are, I guess, mapping out our environment in our brains, let's say when it comes to eating, maybe you go to a cafe for lunch, you kind of know what you order, you have an idea as to where you're going to sit. It's subconsciously a done decision before you ever go to the cafe. Or similarly, when you get home in the evening time, you know that after dinner, maybe you go for a stroll, maybe you turn on the TV, maybe you boil the kettle and you pick up three biscuits, maybe four. And that's just something you do, maybe you never think about it. Because it's already mapped out. Your brain makes shortcuts. You just automatically do it. When we look at behavior change, we have to try and get patients and people to change their behavior in environments. From a 
psychological perspective, that makes it a whole new place because you have to navigate that same cafeteria or that kitchen or that scenario, but have different outcomes. So it's new. New things make us anxious and it can take up quite a lot of our, our brain power. It, it takes an awful lot of, I guess, brain power, brain space, mental bandwidth to override what is otherwise a neural pathway, an automatic response. It's not a passive affair. The analogy I'd often use at a patient is, imagine your brain is a car park. And the car park is an analogy for your mental bandwidth to do things. And everything you do takes up some space. Cook your dinner, do the shopping, go to work, mind your kids, go for a run, whatever it might be. If you don't have an awful lot of car park space left, it's very hard to make those behavior changes. So we would often see someone, I see it all the time, someone coming from a busy job, maybe they're a teacher, maybe it's parent-teacher meeting time, maybe they have a bunch of kids, maybe there's other family stuff going on. They're totally overworked, they're totally tired, they're fatigued, they're making poor choices as a result. It's very unlikely that someone in that case is actually in a position to make behavior change, even if they want to. And this is where it can get a little bit confusing for people and a, a little bit, I guess, where the the self-guilt and the shaming might come in. You want to make the change, but can't. If that's the case, the changes you are trying to make are probably too big. You're probably suggesting that maybe you go to a whole new place for lunch, or maybe you just don't have anything after dinner, or maybe you totally swap around what you put in your shopping trolley it might seem like an easy thing to do but it's really not it's it's not a passive affair it does not come for free so if we wanted to elicit some changes to your diet you know reflect for a second think what are the weak spots in my diet is it that when you go to the shop or when you go to get petrol in the car, you go into the shop and you get a coffee and a bar of chocolate. Could you get maybe something else? So could you get a coffee and maybe a smaller bar of chocolate, like go from a dairy milk to a Frito bar? That's about 30% of the chocolate that you were eating. It's a massive calorie drop. That would be a positive decision. If it comes to purely weight management and you're, you're looking for margins, you could swap your latte to an Americano. There's almost 200 calories of a difference there if it's full fat milk to no milk. That would be an example of a change you could make. If you go to a deli counter every day at lunch and you get something like a panini with some breaded chicken, maybe you ask them to lash on the mayonnaise, maybe you get a bag of crisps with that and a fizzy drink. That's not an uncommon thing for a patient to say to me. Maybe the whole conversation should center around, okay, let's still go to the deli counter. Let's not go from a meal deal to a salad because those are not even remotely the same thing. And that's a big change. And the salad will be a much lower dopamine hit. It's much less enjoyable and it's not really going to satisfy you, and you will feel like you're making a compromise there, and you're unlikely to maintain that, unless you really like salad. Personally, I hate salad. I've never eaten a salad. Um, that's not true. I had it once. That was enough for me to know I hate them. Anyways, I digress. If I have a patient who is someone with no other choice than to eat out at deli counters, restaurants, cafes five of seven days a week and they're meal deal candidates the conversation would look something like okay let's still go to the deli counter but can you swap the panini or the bagel to a wrap a wrap is the the lowest i guess calorie breading option could you make it whole grain get some fiber in there that would be a positive change for the vast majority of people could you ask them not to put mayonnaise in there? Or at least could you swap the mayonnaise to something like a sweet chili sauce? And this is important. Condiments are often 
under under recognized or underestimated in terms of the calories they contribute watch in a deadly counter the next time someone puts mayonnaise on a sandwich or a wrap it's generally full fat mayonnaise and it's generally three servings it's a lot that can be worth the bones of three to four hundred calories alone so you you might ask them not to do that or you might make that swap to the sweet chili sauce which is much more calorie favorable third thing if you really wanted to go for it you might ask them to swap the breaded chicken to plain or marinated chicken like barbecue chicken or cajun or just the plain stuff the difference in a breaded chicken breast and a not breaded one it's a couple hundred calories and a lot of saturated fat so this this analogy already works for someone who might be struggling with heart disease maybe they're pre-diabetic maybe they're struggling with weight maybe they have gout or fatty liver disease swapping the bread to the wrap going for whole grain swapping the mayonnaise to a sweet chili item going for unbreaded versus breaded chicken that's a couple hundred calories of a difference you're still going to the deli counter you're still ordering something but the changes are absolutely tiny and that can be enough that might be all someone needs to do to start tipping the scales in their favor for weight loss but that's never the expectation we assume because we're conditioned to think that to lose weight you must totally upend your diet bread is bad nothing processed you can only eat leaves or it has to be this very very big tangible intervention or it kind of has to suck or it's not working that's what we're conditioned to think and when it comes to behavior change you are more likely to maintain the smallest and easiest choices that are different because that that's the lowest challenge to your brain and that's all it takes and it's underwhelming if you if you sign up to work with me and i often say this to someone in my first appointment with them if they're looking to lose weight and they've been struggling i'll say listen i can almost predict what you've done in the past but here's the deal let's find the three or four choices that you need to change or tweak that are going to give you the biggest amount of weight loss or the biggest improvement in whatever your goal is that's all we are going to do you should be mildly underwhelmed if you're approaching behavior change it's not exciting it's often something very very small so if i was trying to put together a marketing campaign if i was an absolutely reckless influencer didn't care about people i would put before and after pictures I would put up pictures of people eating salad, protein shakes. I would make abstract rules like no processed foods. This client is eating clean. All that bullshit. And I would make loads of money. and Loads of people would get into it. Because we, we are conditioned to think that big, I guess, intense, very strict regimes are the only way this works. By comparison... I think maybe I should actually do this experiment as opposed to think about it. If I made a post trying to get clients and I said, look, I had Jimmy in the clinic for weight loss the other day and um, here's the outcomes. When he goes to a petrol station, he now gets an Americano and a Fredo bar instead of a dairy milk and a latte. And he asks for breaded chicken or not breaded chicken. He asks to not have breaded chicken and no mayonnaise in his sandwiches and that was what we did that's very i guess boring it's a very boring answer and that's that's the reality it's uh it's not exciting and if you can wrap your head around that and just take a look at where the calories are sneaking in it should really help you out but that that advice that that has filtered through my experience of trying to make changes of saying you know this is the week now where i'm going to do it or oh no more chocolate for me ever again and it's never worked and if you say those types of things it'll never work for you either so simplicity is really really key if we move on then and we we've established that behavior change is hard it's very very difficult let's look at the under stimulation side of things 
the boredom, the chronic low dopamine. If you have ADHD, this next section might be helpful for you. It, it might help you navigate your evenings better. If you're lucky enough to be relatively neurotypical, don't know if anyone is totally typical, but if you are, good for you. This will help you manage comfort eating at nighttime. So lots of people will tell me that, God, I really struggle to eat well at nighttime or I eat loads of crap at nighttime, all the junk food. It's when I'm watching telly, it's when I relax. What most people experience when they relax is a relative lack of stimulation. You know, if you're working all day, you have kids, you have a mobile phone, there's screens everywhere, there's, I guess, social stuff. There's a lot of information to take in all the time. Your brain can, be, can become accustomed, I guess, to a certain uh, speed of thinking or processing. If that's different, or if that suddenly drops, that can feel very uncomfortable. Being bored or very under-simulated is a very unpleasant experience for people. Boredom is actually considered to be the worst emotion you can experience. It's worse than pain, it's worse than sadness. It's considered to be the most negative thing you experience. And again, from an ADHD perspective, it doesn't really take a genius to make the leap that these people are chronically under-stimulated when they actually try to relax in the evenings, they need something to fill that gap. Think of crisps, popcorn, chocolate. Think of how you consume them. It's not one bite and it's gone. Think of a can of beer. It's something you hold in your hand. You're actually holding it. You have to go and get it. You engage with it every couple of minutes. Or something like biscuits. You don't just have one small biscuit and you're done. You have a couple of biscuits, maybe big ones. Maybe you take three bites out of your biscuit. It's a distraction. The cup of tea lasts a little bit longer. You might take 15 to 20 minutes to drink it. When the cup of tea is gone, you might find yourself reaching in the press for more stuff. Ultimately, it's a distraction. It's something to stop you being bored, especially if you have ADHD. You're trying to fill that stimulation gap in the evening. So remember, the, the, the crystal clear moment for me was that relaxing is very very stressful not everyone experiences it the same way I do I'm sure some of you listening will I know some of my patients do have ADHD and if you're listening you know I'm right there with you but here's what we can do there's a couple of things if you struggle with comfort eating at nighttime you can have the discussion with your partner or your family it's now this is the democracy now because you're you're influencing other people's diets here as well if it can be arranged that junk food is not brought into the house or at least your offending items, whether it be share bags of crisps, massive packets of biscuits or share bags of chocolate, simply don't have them in the house. Don't have them there. If they're not there, you don't see them. Fun, fun ADHD fact, because the level of forgetfulness is so high, if you can't see something like your toothbrush, you might forget to brush your teeth. So... When you have junk food in your kitchen and you have a junk food press, it's very easy to find and locate. Ergo, it's very easy to eat, meaning as soon as you want it, you get it. So environmental modification is step number one. Step number two, if we think that you eating junk food is an absolute inevitability, which it is for most people, and I don't like the term junk food, I'm just using it to illustrate a point here, but it's for a different, different episode, I suppose. You can think about what could I replace, you know, the share bar of chocolate with? And what could I replace the crisps with? A couple of healthy options. You could have popcorn. You could have pop chips. They're either higher in fiber or lower in calories. So they both constitute pretty good options. You could swap the chocolate for something like a protein bar or a chocolate protein pudding. That works pretty well for people. It hits the spot. They both taste nice. They're both chocolatey. It's not the same as having a bar of chocolate. Or you could try something like high-protein ice creams, like the Oppo Brothers ice cream is pretty good um, if that's your type of thing. So you could try items like that and they, they tend to work for people when you actually go and buy them or remember to buy them and you have them there. You can action that at that point in time. So that's that's something that I would encourage you to take a look at if you can. Environmental modification, it's a really big one. So there's environmental modification, there's swapping the snacks. The next thing is actually, I guess, the, the impulse control. You can tell you're having cravings 
over being just legitimately hungry for me i i I can i phrase it like this to people true hunger is like a dimmer switch being slowly turned up over time so you get progressively hungrier cravings generally shoot out of nowhere and are usually very specific because you're emotionally driven so you're looking for something with dopamine not just something to eat there's a difference there cravings have an agenda hunger does not just wants you to eat so if you notice that you know all of a sudden you want a bar or a bag of crisps or whatever that's your cue to notice that oh okay i'm having cravings here if you notice that set a timer on your phone just make a note of the time a clock whatever it might be and the idea would be not to act on that urge for 30 minutes it's called urge surfing or riding the wave it's used a lot in addiction counseling try and find something that distracts you productively so duolingo pick up a guitar knitting is one a lot of people find great because it's a very involved process and try and get through that 30 minute window you're not always going to win that battle but at the very least what will happen is you might consume junk food 50 percent less maybe you lose the battle 50 percent of the time a 50 percent improvement in how much junk food you eat is massive and has massive knock-on effects on cardiometabolic health and long-term risk factors for disease and that's all there is to it you know you get to the end of that 30 minutes and you still want something you're probably in a better position to make a rational decision because the rational part of your brain works a hell of a lot slower than the emotive part it's why you do something and then feel shit about it or regret it you acted before the rational part of your brain could really chime in and give its tuppence so i hope i hope that kind of makes sense it makes sense to me anyways the third part to this in the way i see it the executive functioning part the not really doing well with complicated things like cooking meals like shopping etc or being prepared or meal prepping i'm very crap at meal prepping is practicality what can we do to make you manage your day with the least effort or attention possible so this is the thing that i particularly rely on myself and it's the piece of information that my weight loss clients find exceptionally helpful so let's let's take a look so personally if i'm trying to find a way okay to get through my day with a reasonable diet as easily as possible here's how i approach it i will either have something like a quick oats pot or a smoothie at breakfast time usually the smoothie will have a protein powder in it maybe some frozen berries and some milk that's about it it'll be one of those two things because those are exceptionally easy to prepare you either just throw three things into a blender or you put hot water in a pot that's it zero little to no thought required very very easy mental load almost nil depending on the day if i'm home alone if my family is away i might have something like a fit food meal i recommend a lot of people try fit food meals because i find them class um you put it in the microwave and that's done so i generally always try and have a store of those around if i possibly can just because of the convenience if something isn't convenient personally i might just not eat at all or my dinner could be a bowl of rice krispies or a protein bar and that happens more than i would like like to admit as a dietitian um but i, I suppose maybe one thing to note here just because someone is a healthcare professional doesn't mean they can professionally take care of their own health so that that doesn't translate quite a lot of my patients are actually doctors gps other physiotherapists dietitians etc who struggle to manage their diet so we're not bulletproof at all we're just maybe slightly slightly better equipped to manage our own shit so protein pots porridge pots protein bars fit food meals those make up quite a lot of my diet smoothies are great soup is great if you have the i suppose ability to remember to put on a slow cooker those kind of things are very very helpful if you work at a desk which i do a standing desk where possible which i do 
you can try using a graze plate. So basically, it goes back to the idea of out of sight, out of mind. If something is in your immediate environment, i.e. within hands reach and in your eyeline all the time, you're far more likely to engage with it. It's why those humongous bottles of water with the lines on it or the ones that change colour as you drink are helpful because it's very visually engaging. It's there all the time. You're spending more time thinking about using it or taking a drink, so you drink more. The food version of that that I have found and cultivated is your graze plate. On your plate, stick on, you know, the equivalent of a portion of nuts, so that's 30 grams or what fits into a cupped pan full. Maybe some mixed seeds, so pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds are brilliant sources of zinc and vitamin E respectively. Three or four pieces of fruit, kiwis, clementines, bananas, whatever floats your boat. You'll find that if you can do this, having the graze plate by your computer or on your desk, you're more likely to eat more fruit during the day. You're more likely to eat more nuts during the day, more seeds, etc. And what that means is the dietary adequacy that you have is far higher. But the, the other part of this is because you're eating better, you feel better. And you, you feel like you're more in control of what's going on. And we, we know that when someone goes through a long period of time without having a lot of calories in their diet, they're far more likely to have a hyperphagic drive, this evolutionary driven drive to consume high amounts of calories. So when you're in a calorie deficit or you're in a deficit relative to that day, you will start to scan your environment for high energy foods. And usually, or typically, you're making that calculation in your head without really realizing it. It's the reason that, you know, if you've skipped breakfast and you find that you're looking for something, if you have an apple and a bar of chocolate on your worktop at home, you probably won't even see the apple. It's like the chocolate is highlighted and almost brighter than everything else around it because you're drawn to it subconsciously because you know it's going to have a higher energy payload. So the, the grace plate anyways, <clears throat> for people who struggle to tick the boxes with their diet and eat healthily, eat enough fiber, healthy fats, fruits, vegetables, etc. This is a no brainer. I will sometimes put a protein bar there or a ready to drink protein shake, one that doesn't require refrigeration like the Kinetica ones I find pretty good. And the days that I do that, my dietary adequacy is way better. And because my protein intake is higher, I've got generally higher levels of serotonin, so I generally feel a little bit better and I'm in a better position to make better choices. So that's that's the ADHD dietitian's guide to, uh, I suppose, hijacking yeah, very, very poor um, ability to manage a complicated diet or to navigate your executive dysfunction. You make it as simple as possible. And that's, that's a very real look behind the curtains for me. If I don't take care to do these things, a day of eating for me can very easily be three or four milky coffees, two protein bars and a bar of chocolate. And that's, that's the truth. I'm capable of having a day like that, despite having a degree in dietetics. So it's, uh, it's important to point out that knowing about something, understanding something and doing it are fierce, fierce different. The application is often the gap between the advice and the actual action. And the application has to look a little bit different for different people. So if you struggle to make behavior changes, break those behaviors down and simplify them to the most, I guess, primitive level you possibly can. So that's that's where my strands of advice come from and that's that's where my I think I have a reputation for pragmatism that's where it comes from total personal experience and necessity I hope you found this episode interesting again be because I've had a lot of um time to think and reflect about mental health my own brain the way I think about things the, the life experiences I've had I am going to be doing some episodes that might walk on the line between dietetics and psychology 
food behavior, food choices, behavior change, etc. And that's that's going to become a focus of mine over the coming weeks and months. So to end today's podcast, I'd just like to ask that if you do find this episode interesting, helpful, I would actually really appreciate your feedback here. Message me. I always appreciate it. Maybe send me a review or share it with a friend and let me know what kind of things you want to hear about. If the stuff in this episode has resonated with you to a degree, please feel free to reach out to me, you know, for support or assistance or if you're just kind of sick of trying to stick to complicated meal plans or you're sick of diet being mystified by pseudoscientific professionals reach out i'll really my team and i will will do our best to make it as simple as possible and we get pretty good results because of that so guys season three back with a bang um yeah have a great day everybody and stay tuned for the next episode of the fuel better podcast with me as always your host evan lynch deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.